I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. My pre-pandemic social life looked pretty different than it does now. I used to live in San Francisco and work in the Mission, which meant my happy hour game was strong. My favorite bars were a hop and a skip away, and that's exactly what I did with my fellow thirsty co-workers, skip to the nearest bar after a long workday. Sometimes it meant cheap and strong drinks at the now-closed Mission Hill Saloon, where I could also play a quick game of bingo. If we were feeling a little more fancy, we'd order pricey cocktails with the hipsters at Trick Dog. If we were hungry, Picaro and 16th was great for sangria and tapas. And for the days when we were especially gutsy, we'd order the way too strong and way too big martinis at Blondie's. That feels like a long time ago. Nowadays, my happy hour game is pretty much non-existent. Today on Fifth Emission, how has bar culture changed since the start of the pandemic? Chronicle senior wine critic Esther Mobley joins me to talk about the challenges local bar owners face now that people like me haven't resumed our bar hopping habits. After enduring years of pandemic uncertainty and changing COVID restrictions, how will their businesses survive? Will the bar culture in the Bay Area ever bounce back? And maybe more importantly, Will I ever get my happy hour mojo back? Esther Mobley, great to have you on Fifth Emission. Thanks for having me. So before we get into it, I'm curious to ask you, what's your bar going preference these days? Have you returned to your pre-pandemic behavior? I think like a lot of people, I haven't returned to my pre-pandemic behavior. I'm out and about a lot less. I work from home more often than I used to. And I used to go after work a lot with coworkers to The Tempest, a great bar right behind the Chronicle newsroom. I used to meet up with other friends who worked downtown. I used to travel to other neighborhoods in the city or hop on BART from downtown much more easily for after work plans. And like many people, I stay home much more than I think I used to. Mm. And that's exactly what we're talking about right now, which is how bar culture has changed. And you've talked to a number of bar owners. We know they've been struggling throughout the pandemic. And there was this assumption that once mask mandates ended and COVID restrictions were lifted, things that would get better. But has that been the case? What have you found out? A number of bar owners throughout the Bay Area that I spoke to said that things have not gotten better, that even though they've been open pretty much without restrictions for a year and a half or two years almost now, that people still aren't coming back in the numbers they used to, that their finances aren't really penciling out very well. One bar owner, Tim Mullins, who owns the Four Deuces in the Outer Sunset in San Francisco, was telling me that before COVID, he never really had to worry about his expenses. He reliably made a profit every month, paid all his staff well, took home a little money for himself, always had money left over for capital expenses. After the bar reopened, he was losing money for a while, and it's only been in the last few months that he started breaking even. But Mm -hmm. he said he's about $200,000 in debt now. I don't know what to think. You can't predict the future any more than I can. Maybe in two years I'll be thinking, good thing I kept this place. Or maybe not. Now, the San Francisco Entertainment Commission, that's the city office that supports and regulates entertainment venues. They surveyed bar owners to see how sales revenue has changed over the past three years. In addition to someone like Tim Mullins, who you just described, what did they find out? So the Entertainment Commission did this survey. It surveyed a number of 
different industries within the city, bar owners, entertainment venues, restaurants, et cetera. But when we look at just the data specific to bar owners, 77% of the bar owners surveyed said that in 2022, their sales were down compared with 2019. About 8% said they were the same. And 23% said they were up. So that's notable. Mm -hmm. So that's 2022 compared with 2019 pre-pandemic. When you look at 2022 compared with 2021, 45% said their sales were up Mm -hmm. and 19% said they were about the same. So we can see that things have improved for these business owners since the pandemic restrictions first eased. But when you look at it compared to pre-COVID, it's really dismal. And some of the challenges facing bars on top of what you're describing here is just things like staffing issues. And I would imagine something like this is going to impact people like bartenders or other staff members, right? Absolutely. One bar owner described it to me as a kind of chicken and the egg situation with staffing. It's harder to attract good staff because there aren't enough customers to really make it worth their while to come in. On the other hand, it's harder to attract more customers when there aren't enough staff to kind of create the right type of bar ambiance and service that people want. Ben Blyman, the owner of California Jack's Bar, which used to be known as Soda Popinski's in Knob Hill, he was telling me that before COVID, his bartenders used to be able to count on making $250 in tips a night He said now they can often make just $60 a shift. So that's a big shift. And I can understand why some bartenders might have looked for jobs in other fields if that's what they're facing. So then, Esther, what's your take on what's going on? Is it that people have gotten used to not going to bars, something that you just described, you know, just a different commute pattern that we have in our day-to-day lives? Or is it like a foot traffic problem? You know, many of us are still working from home. What are the causes here? I think those two things are are both huge factors, certainly. When you're not walking by the bar on your way home from work, when you're not with coworkers, but you're just with your nuclear family or the people you live with every day, you might not be as inspired to go out for a drink as you used to be. I think a lot of folks who used to just be more active, go out and make social plans. A lot of habits have shifted. But there's also a few other things going on. Notably, I think a lot of folks who maybe turned 21 during the pandemic years, the Gen Zers, they don't drink as much as older generations. And the numbers bear that out. And maybe if they do drink, they drink less. They might order fewer drinks. They're more health-oriented. There's evidence that some folks are trading things like cannabis for alcohol. So there may just be a kind of generational shift happening right now that maybe some of these COVID-induced patterns exacerbated. Hmm. I was just going to ask, what are Gen Zers doing instead (laughs) if they're not drinking? Good question. I don't know. (laughs) Playing board games? Gosh, that sounds a lot healthier. Well, you mentioned Ben Blyman. That's the owner of California Jack and Dr. Teeth, actually. He's been on the show before, and he mentioned to you that landlords are going to be really critical in the survival of bars. Tell me more about what he said to you. His position was essentially that if landlords got used to charging charging certain rents pre-pandemic based on what their tenants, these bar owners, were bringing in, they now really need to adjust their expectations based on what the bars are now bringing in. So a lot of bars just have these 
these rents that maybe are the same as what they were pre-COVID or maybe have actually risen since COVID that, that just aren't really realistic. And maybe many of those bars could stay in business if their expenses, such as their rents, were adjusted. So Blyman was, was able to renegotiate his lease at California Jack's. And even though he said his sales are down 60 to 70 percent mm-hmm. is what he mm-hmm. estimated, he thinks actually he's he's going to make it work. But he knows of many other landlords who are not as amenable to those types of changes. And in the long run, he believes it's going to be detrimental to the landlords if they can't fill those spaces. You also have to have a liquor license, and those are hard to get. Those are expensive. So bar owners may have some leverage with their landlords. If they threaten to leave and take their liquor license with them, it may be a lot harder for the landlord to fill that space Mm -hmm. without a liquor license coming with it. More with Esther Mobley after a quick break. Some local bars are still thriving despite the impacts of the pandemic. How are they doing it? We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Esther Mobley, you've chatted with bar owners around the Bay Area They received some assistance from city leaders during the pandemic. What kind of support are they looking for now? I heard that sentiment, especially from bar owners in downtown San Francisco. So I spoke to one bar owner who owns a bar very close to the Chronicle, the Rumpus Mm -hmm. Room on 6th Street. Roxanne DeMarco is her name. And one of her main concerns is the kind of cleanliness of 6th Street and how friendly it is to pedestrians who might want to wander into her bar. She actually thinks the city has made some improvements in the last couple of years, but she wants to see more of that. And um, I think... You know, bars are caught up in this larger existential crisis of downtown San Francisco that a lot of different industries, sectors, political leaders are working to figure out. So there would certainly be a lot of goodwill toward the plans that Mayor Breed and others are putting forth to kind of revitalize downtown, Mm -hmm. bring more office workers back maybe make downtown a place that more people want to live and as a result, revitalize the bars. So in the meantime, how are bar owners adapting to the way that business has changed? What's their strategy that they have to employ now? Some of them are adjusting their hours, how they do business. One bar in Oakland used to open its kitchen for food service at 4 p.m. every day. Now it's opening at 5 because it just wasn't getting enough business for the kitchen during that hour to justify paying staff. A lot of bar owners have seen a major dip in the kind of late night crowd. For instance, some bars were really popular with like the post-shift restaurant worker crowd. And a lot of those folks seem to just be going home and not necessarily be going out to a bar after their shift. So some bars are kind of adjusting what hours actually make sense for us to keep open. Mm. Now, this all kind of feels maybe a little dismal for the future of bars, but it's not all bad news. You did talk to some bar owners in San Francisco and in the East Bay where they're not as impacted. Why are some bars doing better than others? And I know that you highlighted a hometown favorite of mine, Hotsi Totsi in Albany. What's going right for some place like that? The Hotsi Totsi is thriving, and it's not hard to see why. It's a great place. It's one of my favorite bars. So a couple things to note about that particular bar in Albany are it's not in a downtown business district. Mm -hmm. It was never dependent on the coworkers after work 
stumbling out of the office for a happy hour drink. It's a place that's always cultivated regulars, many of whom might travel a little bit to get to it. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be right around the corner. And um, one of its owners, Michael Valladares, was explaining to me, he thinks the niche bars are going to succeed. The bars that are trying to serve a specific community, not just not the huge cavernous sports bars that feel kind of anonymous, that probably have really high expenses and really high rents. Right. And maybe also the types of bars that don't rely as heavily on super expensive spirits because those prices have really skyrocketed, but bars that can still serve affordable drinks and that really kind of cultivate a, a sense of community. Those those may be the ones that thrive. And the Hotsi Totsi in particular its two owners have owned it for 13 years, and they said December 2022 was their best month ever in terms of sales. I mean, it sounds like the Cheers bar model might survive this pandemic better than the others, yeah, right? Yeah, if, if everyone knows your name. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what about for bars that are struggling? You mentioned Tim Mullins, who owns the Four Deuces. He's struggling financially. What does he have to do now to stay afloat? What does the future look like for someone like him? He's really contemplating his options. So he said he hates trivia and bingo and karaoke personally, but he's considering instating all of those. He has a dart league. He's trying to kind of drum up. There isn't much of a fluctuation. It's just going to be what it is. To increase that volume, that's the puzzle. That's trial and error that I want to do. So I think there's a bit of a, a you know, a kind of short-term scrambling for little cute ideas and promotions. In the long run, though, he was floating some pretty heavy existential issues about, is he going to continue to operate the bar? Maybe in two years, I'll be thinking, good thing I kept this place. Or maybe not. I think there's a lot of people exactly in the same spot I am that were waiting for trying to get through it. It's like you're in muddy waters Sometimes you're spinning your wheels, sometimes you're moving forward. He was saying, you know, he's in the outer sunset on Terraval in the 30th something avenues. Mm -hmm. He was saying he wishes he had a bar on 9th and Irving in mm -hmm. the heart of the inner sunset, right by the entrance to Golden Gate Park. And he felt, you know, if a bar ever came available in a location like that, maybe he would jump on it. So he loves, you can tell, I could tell from talking to him, he loves this business. It's what he does. But um, he's wondering how long he'll really be able to keep it viable. So what does this shifting bar culture mean for someone like you who drinks and writes about drinking for a living? Do you think that this change in bar culture is here to stay? I think something has shifted, probably permanently. I don't think it's all due to the pandemic, but I think a lot of it is, or maybe the pandemic catalyzed certain elements of it. Mm -hmm. Certainly the way we're drinking is changing. And we see that in a number of ways. Every year when we look at the kind of high-level mar market reports that show alcohol sales and consumption, we can see that people are drinking less than they used to. People are specifically drinking less wine than they used to. Other new types of things are kind of gaining market share. The market for non-alcoholic drinking is booming. To me, it's all interesting. And I love the idea that people are finding healthier ways to drink and trying to 
incorporate the idea of wellness into their social lives. What I hope we don't lose, and I say this as someone who wants to continue to write interesting stories on my beat, but also just a person in this world, I hope we don't lose the social aspect of what comes with going out and gathering together, whether it's over an alcoholic drink or not. I hope we don't all kind of become hermits and stay in our our little pods forever, but that we can kind of get back out into the world a little more and connect with other people. Because to me, that's what it's all about. And I think I could tell from talking to a lot of these bar owners, that's what they really miss. They miss being the cultivators of those connections. Right. Couldn't have said it better. Esther, thank you so much. Thank you. Esther Mobley is a senior wine critic at The Chronicle. Find her story about the changing bar culture in the Bay Area at sfchronicle.com slash food or on The Chronicle app. Thanks to King Kaufman for editing this episode, to Francesca Fenzi for the production help, and to you for listening. <laughs>